Good morning, loved ones. So just a few things before we get started. I just want to just thank everybody for uh, praying this week uh, for not only, you know, Dick's back, but for Brigetta. She's here, so nobody has to worry about the plants getting watered. They will be watered. <laughs> so, and, and Dwayne is here too, so Dwayne survived the week. So, you know, that is good. So I just want to thank you guys for praying and for, you know, lifting the people up in prayer that need to be lifted up in prayer. So, and I kind of wanted to comment on, on uh, what uh, Martin read because I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Uh, when you are going through trials and and uh, temptations and a hard time, Job is a good book to read because you can kind of understand it. You can kind of follow it. I was just speaking with Karen this morning about it, and you know. But the thing is, is if you're looking for an answer, you don't get it. You know, that's that's the thing of Job. You don't you don't get the answer. You you get where were you when I laid the foundations of the world. So so and everything. But what I wanted to uh what I wanted to look at was uh in chapter one it says in verse eight it says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, um oh hold on, where am I at? Oh there it is, sorry, not eight. So it says, uh, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So we kind of missed that part. What a, what a beautiful, what a beautiful saying. What a beautiful commendation that God gives to Job. Have you considered my servant, Job? So every once in a while, if we think that the devil's got his hand upon us, may we go to that verse and say, maybe God is saying, have you considered my servant? And then you can put your name in there. We have to understand one thing. The devil is still God's devil. The devil is created. So he's still God's devil. So with that, a lighter note, I have to tell you guys two stories because I meant to tell you to them last night or last week. Um, and I saw a lot of times threes up here. This, this time we had a few songs that had times three. So I'm figuring that just means I got 30 minutes times three, right? So, so I had a customer, his name's Bodie, little kid. He's about as old as my, my great nephew here, Cole, about 10 years old. And, and I was wetting his hair and combing it down. And I go, I got to get your cowlick down. And he goes, well, what's a cowlick? And I said, well, you know, when you're born, your mom and dad put you in front of a cow, and the cow licks your head. <laughs> you know, and I said, and that's where you get this. And he looked at me, and he goes, well, I thought that was baptism. <laughs> it, it was so good. And then, and then this morning, this is for, for you wives. This morning, Jenny was sharing with me something she was reading, and that's, it's a, a, a lady, and she was talking about uh, Ephesians, and she's talking about submitting to her husband. And so why she says, yes, we are to be submitting to our husbands. I will submit my complaint. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's all I got. So if you would, turn to your, uh, turn to your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll be finishing chapter 5 today. So... 
Yeah, I thought the baptism one was, was classic. And he goes to Catholic school, so I'm not really sure what they're teaching. Okay, let's pray and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for this time we can gather together as a family, Lord, here, the CBC, or the Faith Bible family. Sorry, Father. But Lord, I just thank you that uh, we have people that pray for each other, that lift each other up, and that they care for each other, Lord. What a, what a blessing, what a blessing it is. Father, we thank you for Jesus, Lord, that we just sang these songs that he is exalted, the king is exalted on high, that he came from heaven to earth to show the way. But Father, we know that he didn't come to only show the way, but he came to be the way. Because that's what he says. He doesn't say, I am a way, but he says he is the way. So Father, may we put our hope in the fact that Christ is the way to heaven. So Father, I come and I ask now, Lord, that we would turn our attention to your word, turn to the preaching of your word. Father, that we would see you in all your glory Father, that we would see you in all your excellence, in all your beauty, that we would be drawn to Christ. Lord, do this in our hearts. Thank you. Amen. So the title today is The View of Elders. Our context is chapter 5, verses 17 through the end of the chapter. So now, through history, we have had many good leaders, and we've had many bad leaders. We've had dictators that were good dictators, benevolent dictators, and we've had dictators that were ruthless dictators. We've had prime ministers that were good. We've had it within our own country. We can go back into our history, and we can look and see where we had presidents that did many things that were good, and then we have presidents that are really bad. And So it goes the same within the church. Within the church, we can have good leadership and we can have bad leadership. And we've seen where in 1 Timothy, Paul is correcting these things to Timothy, telling Timothy that that you have to get rid of the false teachers. This is the bad leadership. This is the leadership that is teaching heresy. This is how it works. And so he has to do this. So John Maxwell is an evangelical Christian who's a teacher in personal development and leadership skills for life. And this is what he says about leaders. Because as we look at leaders, as the leadership goes, that's how the church goes. So we have to be sure that the leadership is good. And this is what he says. This is just a few quotes I thought were good. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. A great leader's courage to fulfill his vision comes from passion, not position. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And then Spurgeon has a quote that says, The trees bow in the wind, and so must we. So even as leaders within the church, elders, elders, must bow to Christ. That's what Spurgeon is saying. So as the trees bow, 
we as leaders, we must bow the knee to Jesus also. We are not above the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But there is a way that the church is supposed to view elders, how the congregation is to view the elders, and that elders' responsibilities. So look with me at verses 17 to the end of the chapter. He says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not omit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those, those are the elders, who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in laying hands, nor take part in their sins of others, Keep yourselves pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So this is our text today. So we see that in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy Paul gave requirements for elders because they had bad elders. So Paul brings these requirements for the elders. And now we see how we are to view the church, how we are to view elders. Now, what this does not mean, what this does not mean, it means elders are not to be viewed as the almighty and put on pedestals. Elders are not to be viewed as not being accountable. Elders must be held accountable. This does not mean elders are not to be viewed as those who know everything because we don't know everything. Elders are not to be viewed as not being correctable because even the proverb says that a wise man loves correction. The wise man loves instruction. The wise man loves rebuke. So they're not above rebuke, correction, or instruction. And elders are not to be viewed as those who can do whatever they please. So I want you to know this is what Paul is not t talking about. These are things that elders, you are not to view elders as Christ, essentially. They're not to be viewed that way. So then, how are elders to be viewed? So let's look at point number one. The church, the congregation, they're to honor the elders. Dirty honor the elders. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule, rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So there's an honor that the elders are supposed to have. There's this esteeming that the elders are supposed to have among the congregation. Now we're talking about godly men, godly elders, those who are bowing the knee to Christ, those who are looking to Christ. And I'm really glad Paul uses the word elders here, right? Look at verse 17. Let the elders, okay? This is elders. This is the position. This is just not older men. But what this says, it's in the plural. So it's more than one. It's more than one. Let the elders who rule well, which is great because it doesn't talk about one pastor. We have to be clear on this. 
the elders who rule well. It is not a one-person pastor. That is dangerous. A one-person pastor is a dangerous thing. You need to have a plurality of leaders. When you only have one leader who is the main leader, well, accountability goes out the door, right? They tend to bring in people that are just going to agree with them. They become subject to greater temptation. And so Paul is clear here. It's the elders who rule well. We have to keep that in there. This is important. And the word elder here is, uh, we can change it to pastor. We can change it to overseer. We can change it to shepherd. So this is what he's talking about. The elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, double esteem. So what is that? Well, it's having a respect for them. It's having respect for them. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Hebrews 13, 17 puts it this, or 13, 7 puts it this way. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their life. Now, if it's a bad leader, don't imitate their life. But Paul's talking about, or the writers to the Hebrews is talking about a godly leader. Again, in 13, 17, he says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That's what we do. As your elders, Mark, Martin, and Dick, we keep watch over your souls. Right? We keep watch over your souls. But listen to the next part. As those who will give an account. That means when I get to heaven, I will have to give an account for your souls. It's scary. It's a scary thought. But respect. Submit. Make it easy on them. Right? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So why should we respect the elders? Why should we give them double honor? I'm glad you asked that question. Because here's how Paul answers it. It says, because they work hard. Look at verse, look at verse 17 again and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially, that word especially can mean chiefly or most of all. So be worthy of double honor. Most of all, those who labor, those who work hard, those who toil, those who weary at the word, they're wearied in the word, they're in the word, they're, they're, they're treading through the word, they're, they're uh, exegeting the word, they're, they're digging into the text to see what the text means so that they can give you food to eat, right? That's what he's saying. Those who, who labor in preaching and teaching, the, the preaching is the word, right? So the preaching of the word is to stir the soul, is to go to the soul. Teaching of the word is instruction, is instruction. And so from the pulpit, you get both of them. There's times where you're going to get preaching where it really reaches your soul and it, and it, and it hits the soul, especially when we talk about the, the, the depths and, and, and the beauty and the glory and the excellence and the holiness and the greatness of who God is. That should not just intrigue your mind, but it should, it should 
it should uh, penetrate your soul. That's what it should do. It's, it's those who labor in such a way. They work hard in preaching and, and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labor deserves his wages. So not only respect for them, the double honor would also be that they are worthy of the wages. They are worthy of the wages. Now, in some churches, some churches are bigger. They can afford to have a full-time minister. And the, I, the object of it is, is that we want to be able to, to have a full-time minister that we can, we can afford to give them a salary so they can devote themselves purely to the word. And then we have small churches like this who really can't afford a full-time minister. And that's okay because things work. They work just fine, right? They work just fine. Come on next Sunday. Or, yeah, next Sunday. Come next Sunday. You'll see how fine it's working. And it's beautiful. But they are worthy of their wages. They are worthy of the wages. So we see, first of all, that the church is to honor the elders. Secondly, there's a, there's a, uh, a protection for elders. Paul puts in there, there's a protection for elders. Listen to 1 Timothy 5.19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So there's many people in the church today that come to churches and all they want to do is get to the leadership. That's all they want to do. Or they want to get the leadership brought down. And so they come in and they start accusations. They start making things. They start rumors within the church. They, they start being busybodies. And what Paul is saying here is that you're not to admit a charge. It's important that the church is able to distinguish between the truth and lies when it comes to an accusation against the elders. And the elders have to also do that. The elders have to distinguish. When a charge comes against another elder, they have to distinguish a lie between the truth. They have to do this. So this admit a charge or receive a charge is to, that the word in the Greek means to entertain, to delight in, or to consider, or to think about. And so what Paul is telling Timothy is, don't even think about it. Don't even consider an accusation against an elder. Unless it's under the evidence of two or three witnesses then it has to be investigated. If it's one person, you don't entertain it. If it's two people, you entertain it. You have to entertain it. You have to investigate it. That's what Paul says, right? Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, two or three witnesses. Here's what we see. We see in Deuteronomy 19.15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So we see that Paul is going back into the Old Testament. Well, that's all Paul had. So he's going back into Deuteronomy and he's showing where God is saying it has to be two or three witnesses right? Matthew eighteen sixteen. An elder is not above church discipline, brothers and sisters. When we look at Matthew 18, if a brother sins, you go and correct him. If he re- repents, you've won your brother. If he doesn't repent, you take somebody with you. There's your second witness. If he refuses to repent, well, then you take him to 
the next level, and then the next level. So an elder is not above this. An elder is not above church discipline. Uh, 1816, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is important when a charge comes against the elder, right? Because it's a serious matter when we're going to bring an accusation against an elder of the church. We've got to be sure that we have our ducks in a row if you're going to do this. That's what Paul's saying. Right? That's what he's saying. Be sure you're sure of what you're sure of. And you have other people with you. Psalms 105.15. Now this has been taken out of context, but it does say this. Saying, touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Those who venture out to falsely accuse are wading into deep waters. Because we are not to falsely accuse but it must be accurate. Doesn't mean that the elders above accusation. There might be some real concrete accusations, right? I put down four that I think are probably real good. Uh, spiritual abuse by elders. That's not good. Uh, heavy-handedness by elders. Elders who are power-hungry. Elders who are controlling, manipulative. These are accusations that I think are very good accusations that we can bring, that you could have the evidence of more than one or two. Elders must have accountability. They cannot be unchecked. But be sure there's a protection there. There's a protection there. Now, what about the elder that is in sin? What about the elder that is in sin? What do we do with the elder in sin? Our third point, the disciplining of elders. 1 Timothy 5, 20 and 21, And for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Those elders who continually sin, this is what this persist means. It's a continual thing. It's a habitual thing. It's something that they keep on doing. They, they, they keep on spiritually abusing people. They keep on manipulating people. They keep on wanting more power and more power and more power because they want all that control. Those who continually or continue in affairs or continually are drunk. I mean, those are the, the requirements, right? Those who continually do this who persist in sin, you are to rebuke them. You are to bring them out, right? You are to bring the conviction out. You are to com- correct, to repuve. John MacArthur said there's nowhere to hide for the elder that sins. He also says this, the ministry is thus a two-edged sword. Those who serve faithfully are to be honored and protected, but those who sin are to be removed and publicly rebuked. It is a two-edged sword. And then why should they be rebuked? Why should they be removed? So that the rest may be feared. It says so, the, so that the, I think I got that right. So the rest may be fearful of sinning. Now, who are the rest? Well, the rest could be the other elders. It could be the congregation. But he's publicly rebuked. 
This must not be seen as the fear of man, but as the fear of the Lord. That's where the fear has to come from. You should not fear the person who's doing the rebuking. You should fear God because God has brought the sin out. And he'll bring your sin out if you don't deal with it. Right? The Old Testament tells us what? Your sin will find you out. So God will bring your sin out. But this is the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man. <coughs> Deuteronomy 19.20. <coughs> Excuse me. And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 2.17 Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the emperor. Now what is this fear God? Right? Am I to fear God? I mean, I'm his child, right? Doesn't he love me? Yeah, absolutely. So some people will preach this as it's a reverence. It's a reverence to God, and there's nothing wrong with that. It is a reverence to God. It's, it's having a, a holy reverence of who he is. But I also believe it's a holy fear of who he is. He is a consuming fire. When you look at his attributes, he is to be feared. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. He is all-holy. He is all-just. He is to be feared. And when he brings the elder sin out and the elder is rebuked for that sin and the elder is removed from his position, this is the one you fear, God, not the one who is doing it. And this rebuke is to be done without showing any partiality, without any prejudging. This is what Paul tells Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So this means it doesn't matter how popular the elder is. It doesn't mean how many years he's served as an elder, how much knowledge they have, how many sermons they preached, how many Sunday schools they have, how many Bible studies they lead. It doesn't matter. If the elder persists in sin, he is to be rebuked and he is to be removed. It's simple math. It's simple math. The church has to make a decision on whether they are more concerned for the reputation of a man or the reputation of God. This is it. So now how do we choose elders accurately? How do we make sure we choose elders accurately? 1 Timothy 5.22 Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So during this time with Timothy, the common way of, of uh, seeing a gifted person was to lay hands on them and pray for them. We don't do that nowadays. We see a gifted person and we, we run through a gamut of questions and discernments and and stuff, and we pray a lot about it. But we, but we saw it in Timothy's life, right? In First Timothy four four, Paul says this to Timothy: 
Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Again in 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is through the laying on of my hands. The deacons in Acts 6, this is what happened with them. They set them aside before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the laying on of hands is to set one apart for ministry. This was a laying on of hands. Now, Paul tells Timothy here, don't be what? What's he say? Don't be hasty to do that. Don't be quick to do that. Don't be sudden to do that. That's what he's saying. Don't do it quickly. Don't do it suddenly. There has to be a proper investigation into the person's life. It has to be done so that we make sure we don't put a wolf in the pulpit. We've got to be sure there's not a wolf in the pulpit. So how do we discern whether this person is a wolf or they're not a wolf? Well, we do a proper investigation. We spend time with them. We see if they want to come up and just be part of the body. Why don't you come, be part of the body, sit, be part of the body, serve the body, Right? We see if that's part of their life. We see if they're committed to the body first. Come into Sunday school. Come into church. See what their committed life is like. We just don't let someone walk in the door and say, hey, here's my degree. This is what I got. Oh, perfect. There's your office back there. No, elders can't do that. We have to do a proper investigation. Great. Glad you went to school. You know, perfect. Come sit. Be part of the body right? That's what we have to do. It's a proper investigation, right? We, we, we can't be hasty. So how do we check for eldership? Look at verses 24 and 25. He says this, the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Okay, Paul gives us four things right there, four things that we do, right? The first one, there are those that, w- that in the examination process who have sinned from the beginning, sin that disqualifies them right away. It's conspicuous. It's right there. We see it. We know it. We look at it. We say, nope, you're disqualified right now. Not even a chance you're going to get in here, right? We see it right away. It's right there. So we know right away that's not him. But then there's those that through examination process, the sin comes out later. This is why we have to have a process, right? We have to be able to get into that person's life. We have to sit there and say, ah, you know what? This person's really not a one-woman man. He's got all these problems, you know? Yeah, I, I really don't, we don't really see a, a calling on his life in this area. You know, and the more you examine him, that sin starts to come out. Those sins start to come out. And then there's those whose good deeds come with them, and they are evident, right? You sit there and say, hey, we know this is a good person. We know this is a godly person because it's evident their good deeds are conspicuous. They automatically start doing the elder's work without being the elder. They start taking care of people. They start praying for people. They start to get to know people because that's how God's gifted them. They start caring for people automatically. People they don't even know. They start caring for them because God loves them. It's their, they just love them. And then there are some who are qualified through the examination process because their good deeds come out. 
You might not see it right away. But through the process, you see it. So there has to be a process. There has to be a process. And most likely, what God does is I think God raises leaders up from within the body. He raises leaders up. So why would we want to bring somebody in? Why would anybody want to bring a pastor in who doesn't know the sheep, who doesn't care for the sheep, who doesn't love the sheep, who doesn't know the sheep's struggles and give him a bunch of money? That doesn't make sense to me. That's my opinion. That's not scripture. That's just my opinion. If you're going to discern between wisdom and opinion, that's opinion. You don't have to discern it. (laughs) That's opinion. So... I just don't understand that. So we must be careful. We must not be hasty or sudden or quick to lay hands on somebody. So then we have this one section where Paul cares for Timothy. And that's verse 23. We see where Paul tells Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Right? So this is just Paul's care for for Timothy. He wants Timothy to be healthy. He wants him to be a healthy elder. One who's not battling sicknesses all the time. One who's not sick and, and unhealthy and, and unable to do it. So he wants him to be healthy. So he's not advocating here for Timothy to be a drunk. He's not saying, hey, man, being a drunk, that's the only way you're going to be able to handle all of this. He's not saying that. So we've got to be sure of that, right? And he's, and he's not sitting there saying that, you know, if you have a headache, drink a beer. He's not saying that either, right? Here's why he's saying what he's saying, because he's concerned for Timothy's health because of the water in that day. The water in that day isn't like our day, right? They didn't have pure water filters. They didn't have, you know, where they can fill up the water and it drips through because it goes through all this purifying stuff. They didn't have refrigerators in those days that had pure uh, systems within them so that the water is clean. The water in their day was horrible. You got sick by drinking the water. You know, it was, you know, it had some real dysentery type of stuff. And so Paul was telling Timothy, hey, drink some wine. Why? Because the wine kills the bacteria. That's what he was telling him. Be healthy, Timothy. Be healthy so you can lead this church successfully. So brothers and sisters, in closing, in closing, May you and I be a church. May we be a church family that places God high and not men high. May we be those that put men into leadership that are godly men. May we not be taken. May we not be taken by charisma or knowledge of somebody that comes in and preaches but may we be a church that honors God by following his prescription, by honoring the elders that are here, protecting them when an accusation comes, by removing them if they remain in sin, and by choosing elders wisely by not laying on of the hands. And this will honor God, and this will protect the body. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time. We just ask your blessing upon it, Lord, and may you, Father, bring Bring people, Lord, that we can serve and that we can love on and that we can care for. Lord, I pray 
that you would make it evident within this church, Father, when you are raising a leader up. Father, help us to be men in leadership, Lord, who do not lay hands quickly on somebody. But Father, may we examine their lives to make sure they are your instrument of redemption, Lord. We thank you for this in your name. Amen.